employees are leaving because their jobs are not meeting their needs. They're leaving because they're feeling underpaid, uninspired, and undervalued. They're leaving because they feel that their jobs don't fit with their lives and their health is being harmed by these jobs. The story isn't anything new necessarily, but we are seeing this speeding up as a result of the pandemic and its consequences. You're listening to What's Work Got to Do With It, your go-to resource on all things workplace safety, health, and well-being. This podcast series invites you into the conversation as we discuss how our workplace conditions like work hours, occupational stress, job safety, and other issues affect our lives at work and at home. We go into the science behind it all and talk about what we can do to reduce work-related risk and promote well-being. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of What's Work Got to Do With It. On today's episode, we highlight our symposium. So twice a year, we typically host a spring and a fall symposium. And sometimes, you know, they can fall between the months of May and June, as well as November and December. And they cover a topic on occupational safety, health, and well-being. And this year, during our spring symposium that happened in June, we covered the topic from the great resignation to the great reconfiguration. And we had a bunch of wonderful speakers with a lot of information sharing on strategies, on how organizations can support their workforce and retain their employees during this challenging time. And of course, we know with the pandemic, as well as the workplace and economic challenges we're facing, um, it's been really hard on not only the economy, the workforce as a whole, but just individuals so people like employees working in these organizations have faced a lot of burnout and other related stressors coupled with things like the pandemic and so this talk of course we've all heard the buzzwords of the big quit in the great resignation today's episode will be featuring our keynote talk and our keynote speaker from the spring symposium and we'll be featuring dr baron erdwan and She comes to us from Portland State University and is a professor of management there. And she really goes into a lot of the challenges employers are facing and how we can be essentially supportive, effective, and engaging to retain our workforce. And she goes into different research studies that she's looked at uh, during her time um, essentially studying the Great Resignation. And before we dive right into that and introduce Dr. Baron Erdogan, I wanted to give a quick plug about the fall 2022 symposium we have coming up on December 9th, 2022. And if you are listening to this after December 9th, then uh, feel free to go on our website. And I will also share the symposium link in the show notes below, but you can catch the recording post event as well. But in this upcoming fall symposium that we'll be hosting, it'll be on supporting a diverse workforce in the face of ongoing societal trauma. And I'm not going to read the full course description here because that would take a little bit of time, but essentially the Symposium will cover chronic societal stressors, the workforce experiencing exhaustion, and on a deeper widespread level of how the pandemic's affecting us and areas related to violence that we're facing in the world today and how that's impacting our workforce. And so we're going to dive right in into Dr. Baron Erdogan's keynote talk on the Great Resignation. 
And a little bit about Dr. Erdogan. She is a professor of management at Portland State University School of Business. Her research focuses on employer-employee relationship as it relates to employee well-being, effectiveness, engagement, and retention in the workplace. She's conducted various studies and partnered with organizations in industries, including food services, education, technology, public sector, retail, hospitality, insurance banking, and I'm sure much more. She is a fellow of Society for Industrial and Organizational Psychology, or PSYOP, and Association for Psychological Sciences, or also known as APS. And during her keynote talk, she addressed COVID-19 pandemic and the following of the Great Resignation, how organizations everywhere, including here in Oregon, as well as nationwide, and how different factors have led employees to leave their jobs in large numbers, resulting in pressures and major challenges that these organizations are facing and continue to face and how employees have left behind and how these opportunities are rising from these experiences to reshape essentially the future of work. And of course, I will also drop additional links in the show notes where you can catch other speakers and their presentation notes from our previous symposiums. My name is Bjarne Erdogan. I'm a professor of management at the School of Business of Portland State University. And it is my great pleasure to get us started on today's talks by sharing my thoughts and observations on the so-called great resignation. And I'm an organizational researcher, uh, which is something important to keep in mind, which means I study people within organizational settings. I'm not an economist, so uh, while I will share some data generated by economists, I will not be able to predict future uh, trends, so that's outside of my expertise. But I have to say, the great resignation and the resulting challenges really put my field of study on the map. Uh, scholars in my field, myself included, have been investigating why people leave organizations, why they stay within organizations, what makes them engaged at work for decades now. And I will share some of uh, the findings and conclusions from that body of work in the hopes that they can be put to practice or at least contribute to this conversation about what to do and where to go next. As you all know, turnover is a fact of life. No matter how exciting a job is or a company is, no one stays within an organization forever. In fact, according to one statistic, uh, the average person changes jobs 12 times over the course of their careers. And this statistic is actually from prior to the pandemic. In other words, turnover was always a challenge for businesses and businesses always had to manage turnover and take steps to prevent undesirable levels and types of turnover. But in 2012, um, 2021, um, we found ourselves in a little bit of an unusual territory, as you know. We've started seeing all these news articles about the so-called great resignation or great reshuffle, great negotiation, great upgrade. There are many different names for it at the moment. What this means is that people started quitting their jobs in relatively unprecedented numbers. It's been called historic. And while the labor force had about 160 million people at, the, at that time, about 4 million people were changing jobs or quitting their jobs every month. And that trend is continuing into this year as well. As of March, we have 4.5 million quits nationwide. So these, are, these numbers are quite high. And this level of turnover seems to be a serious problem. So for example, there is a recent study of Fortune magazine on company CEOs and 44% of the CEOs surveyed said that the biggest problem their business is facing right now 
is the tight labor market. So this is a topic that is clearly important to understand, investigate, and intervene. So this is the outline of my talk. I will start by first discussing what happened and how we got to this point. And I will draw from scientific research to present my understanding of why people leave and why they stay. Then I will talk a little bit about the people who are staying behind, people who aren't leaving. And they're an important group to discuss because oftentimes companies think a lot about the people who are leaving and how to get new people without giving enough attention to the people who are staying, which actually leads to, ironically, even higher levels of turnover. So they're a really important group to pay attention to. I will then talk about some of the consequences organizations face when turnover is really hard to manage and new employees are difficult to attract. And finally, I will discuss some potential solutions about what companies are currently trying, what should we be doing to stem the tide and find a new normal, which is hopefully better than the old normal. I'll start by um, noting this. Most of the conversation I'm seeing uh, in the media, in the popular press about the Great Resignation, first of all, obviously, views it as harmful to economy, and it is treated almost as if it's a natural disaster, something that just happened to companies. For a long time, um, I've seen a lot of signs on retail establishments, and you may have seen these too, no one wants to work anymore. So the idea or the argument goes, people are tired of working and nobody wants to working, our service is slow, uh, please be patient with us, we are short-staffed because some employees chose not to be here. But the reality is obviously a little bit more nuanced than that. First of all, many quits are not because people stopped working. Instead, what we're seeing is that people are changing jobs and oftentimes they're going to more attractive jobs. So this is not a resignation in the sense that people are leaving the workforce, they are moving between uh, different jobs. Second, it's not prevalent in all industries. Some industries are not really seeing dramatic departures, but we're definitely seeing these trends in leisure, retail, healthcare, and where great resignation is most acute seems to be in companies and industries that are offering relatively poorer quality jobs, where pay is low, there are few benefits, there is a lot of job insecurity. This doesn't describe every single industry where the great resignation is happening, but it is a big portion of what we're seeing. So we may consider this an industry-specific phenomenon. And you can contrast this to uh, the surge. There's a 60% surge in the number of people who obtain their real estate license. So people are leaving industries and jobs that offer poorer working conditions, and they're moving to ones that offer greater upside. So that is another way of looking at this uh, story that is evolving. In a lot of instances, individuals' pandemic-related experiences and how they were treated during the pandemic is also playing a role. So this is not really a natural disaster. Businesses play the role uh, in creating the situation. And there are also some systemic and long-term problems as well that resulted in this situation. This all resulted in a situation where employees are burning out, they're questioning what they're doing, and then ultimately quitting. So to illustrate some of these points, here's an article from Bloomberg Businessweek discussing the business effects of nurse shortages on hospitals. If you read the title, it's almost as if they're blaming nurses for the misfortunes of business. But if you read the entire article toward the end, they report the results of a survey suggesting that two-thirds of the nurses surveyed by the American um, Association of Critical Care Nurses said that uh, their experiences during the pandemic prompted them to consider leaving the field. And remember that during the pandemic, their job actually got worse. They were physically dealing with a dangerous illness that we didn't know anything about. They were risking their health and well-being every day, just interacting with patients. 
And while they were hailed as heroes, they also had to deal with cuts in their salaries, reduced benefits, canceled raises. They were forced to work more shifts with longer hours. So all of which unsurprisingly contributed to departures. I would also highlight that particularly earlier in the pandemic, businesses didn't always put employees first immediately and voluntarily. Employees were worried about their own safety and health, which was a real problem, and how companies treated those concerns left much to be desired. Another question a couple of months into the pandemic, now we're realizing how scary it is. The question is, one of our employees who works for an essential business in the office of a healthcare facility, the employee has asked to work from home during the pandemic. We typically don't have work from home assignments. How should we handle the situation? So again, the concern, the priority of the company doesn't seem to be how do we keep this person be safe and feel safe. It is more around how do we make her change her behavior? This is setting a precedent. We don't do things like that around here. So this is definitely not safety first. So we've definitely seen some exits as a result of that work environment uh, from the workforce as well. Part of what we've seen was um, early retirements. When you look at the people who exited the workforce in 2021, a large percentage of them were over the age of 50. The pandemic definitely speeded up retirements. And in most cases, retirements happened after a layoff. So these people were first laid off and then they couldn't find a job and they were concerned about their health and that resulted in them uh, departing the workforce. Burnout reached crisis proportions, particularly in some industries. Um, frontline workers were working long hours. They were experiencing difficult working conditions. Nurses, retail workers, they were making a lot of sacrifices and experiencing high levels of conflict with the public. Uh, their pay remained the same, but oftentimes their jobs got worse, which led people to look to different industries. Lack of flexibility was an issue, particularly when people were caregivers. Um, that le led to caregivers leaving the workforce or seeking jobs that offered greater levels of flexibility. It was really a tough time to be a parent and also to work. And because childcare is not necessarily equally shared between parents, we saw more women leaving the workforce. And finally, many people did a lot of soul searching and they started to re-envision their work lives. They had a bit more disposable income maybe because their expenses went away at the beginning of the pandemic. They had more time in their hands. They started thinking about what they wanted out of life. And some people decided to go back to school or change industries or start their own business. Now, I would like to take you to academic research. I mean, why, why are people leaving? This is actually a pretty old question. And people in my field have been trying to answer that question for several decades now. And some would say that there are as many reasons as there are people changing jobs, but that's not exactly true. There are some very well-established frameworks that provide generalizable insights to why uh, people are leaving. Turnover is a function of desirability of leaving and ease of movement. And these two forces will interact. In other words, people will ask themselves two questions. Do I want to leave? And can I leave? Desirability of leaving will include factors that make a job undesirable, such as not loving what you do, working with an unpleasant manager, or mistreatment at work, uh, feeling underpaid. These are all reasons why people would want to leave. Ease of leaving is the perception that you can find a better job, given your qualifications, abilities, and the situation of the job market. So people will not always find another job first and then quit. Instead, they will look at the market and look to see whether uh, people who are similar to them are finding an easy time, um, finding it easy to find an alternative job. So that contributes to ease of movement. Now, this framework is 
useful to understand why people are leaving. So what is currently pushing employees to leave their jobs or changing their jobs? There are many studies on this examining the factors that look at um, the biggest reasons why people are leaving. I will present results from a Pew Research Institute study, and I don't think you will find any surprises here. So I will highlight the five top reasons why people said that they quit their job recently. Number one is desire for higher pay. Respondents who changed jobs said that their pay was too low. Some even said uh, that they can't afford the job that they have right now. They had, that's why they uh, left. And it seems to be paying off because the majority of the job changers actually improved their pay after they changed their jobs. That payoff was higher if they had a college degree. 66% of them improved their pay after changing jobs. But even without a college degree, 51% of the job changers ended up with a job that paid them better. That's hopeful. That's great. But that also shows you that pay is not the entire picture here, because the rest of those people, 34% of the college graduates who changed jobs, did not improve their pay, and yet they still chose to change jobs. Number two was advancement opportunities. Leavers were unhappy because they felt that they were stagnating where they were. Um, and in contrast, people who had re recently received promotions were less likely to leave. So advancement is part of the equation here. Number three is felt disrespect. Uh, people who changed jobs said that they were feeling a sense of uh, being mistreated or they weren't treated with dignity and respect at work. And that contributed to them wanting to go uh, somewhere else. Number four was childcare issues. That was a big reason. And number five was lack of flexibility. People wanted a choice in where they work and when they work. And companies calling back employees to work isn't really helping with this because a lot of people don't see the office as where work gets done anymore. So when companies are acting inflexible when it comes to scheduling or um, what degree of remoteness is okay, then that is motivating employees to depart uh, their workplace. So this, these findings are from a, pra a practitioner article and um, research, but I would like to emphasize that much of this is very consistent with what academic research indicates as the top predictors of turnover. Of course, academic research follows a different methodology. In the practical research that we have seen by Pew Research Institute, they ask people why they change jobs. In academic studies, what we do is we survey um, people about different aspects of their work environment, and then six months to a year later, we look to see who stayed and who left. So uh, what I listed here are not the reasons people are giving as reasons for changing their jobs, but instead, these are the strongest correlates of turnover that we have seen. And these are the results of a meta-analysis. So this is a summary of hundreds of different studies on turnover. Um, actually, the biggest turnover uh, predictor of turnover job satisfaction, but I did not list it here because so many things go into it. But these are the biggest correlates that are in the work environment. So number one in this list is employees coping with the demands of the job. So coping is uh, given the employee's own resources, can they cope with the internal and external demands on them? And they feel like they can't cope, then that is a strong correlate of um, whether they stay or leave. Person environment fit is a very strong predictor. Um, a sense of fit with the work environment. That means fit with the job as well as fit with the company's values. Rewards offered is a big piece of this. Um, rewards offered includes pay, but also benefits, career and growth opportunities, and training time. And then there's climate, climate of support, 
whether they feel like they're being supported by their managers, by their coworkers, by management in general. And finally, job security. When people feel that they are insecure where they are, then they're more likely to quit their jobs. So what does this all mean? Um, employees are leaving because their jobs are not meeting their needs. They're leaving because they're feeling underpaid, uninspired, and undervalued. They're leaving because they feel that their jobs don't fit with their lives and their health is being harmed by these jobs. The story isn't anything new necessarily, but we are seeing this speeding up as a result of uh, the pandemic and its consequences. So what is different now? Part of what we're seeing is that it is relatively easier uh, to leave one's jobs. Leaving one's job in normal times is costly, burdensome, and effortful. Imagine everything that you have to do to change jobs, beginning with completing job applications with every single company asking you to submit your resume, but also enter the same information into an application form, or scheduling interviews with tons of people taking time off to do the interview. But these days, interviews are being conducted remotely and companies are eliminating many hurdles, which is facilitating the sense of ease of movement. There are even companies that conduct interviews asynchronously with candidates uh, recording their answers from the privacy of their homes. We did a study actually with my own research team on these types of selection systems during COVID-19 pandemic. And we found that many applicants were quite receptive to the use of these systems and saw these as very convenient as the way of the future, if you will. Um, another factor contributing to hiring, uh, hiring ease or the ease of movement is the hiring bonuses that you're seeing everywhere that are being advertised. These are really tempting. Now hiring signs are everywhere, so that's creating a sense that it is relatively easy to leave. Plus, working from home option really made it easier to quit. Before the pandemic, if people weren't happy with their jobs, they still needed to consider the location, their commute, and other costs. And they were oftentimes bound to a particular geography. So even if they didn't like everything about their jobs, they had made peace with it. But now, with the prevalence of remote work, remote positions, Individuals don't have to take a job in a particular geographic location. They can look for a job in a different state or a job that maybe they would never have considered due to physical distance two years ago. Of course, this goes both ways. Remote workers are competing with other remote workers. Uh, but what is different right now is that all of these trends are contributing to the sense that it is relatively easier um, to move between jobs. Now, the classic model of turnover is helpful um, to shed light into why people are leaving. But it is the classic model for a reason. I will also share results from a different model of turnover. This is called the unfolding model. This model sees turnover as a result of a series of shocks. According to this idea, individuals experience a shock, and that shock could be at work, such as learning that your company has just been acquired, or it could be at home, such as you learn that you're going to be a parent. Uh, going to your high school reunion or having a fifth anniversary at your job or turning 30 or 40, these are all shocks. A shock is something that makes you start thinking about what you're doing. Am I in the right place? Am I doing the right thing? What am I missing by staying here? And these shocks start the turnover process. So sometimes a shock may result in an immediate quit. For example, imagine that you were planning a family vacation for two weeks, and, and you've been planning this for a while now, and right before the vacation, your manager tells you that um, you are not allowed to take a leave because they need you here. So they cancel your uh, long planned vacation. This could be a reason why someone might quit on the spot. 
because not only this indicates that they're going to miss out on their vacation, but also it is a sign of disrespect. So it might jolt the person into action. I can't believe I'm treated like this. And then uh, they may quit immediately. Often though, a shock may uh, initiate a previously established protocol. For example, something may happen at work, which may make the person say, I always told myself that I would go back to school one day. I will do that now. Or I always said that I would move closer to my parents one day. I want to start my business one day. So the shock may result in activating that protocol. An example of that would be, let's say you turn 40 and decide that, well, I'm not getting any younger. This is the time to start my business if I will ever do this. Or finally, um, the shock may shake the employee and start the separation process. Let's say your company has just been acquired. You see the writing on the wall and you might start looking. This is the thing that gets you into uh, action. My point here is that COVID-19 was a shock and it jolted all of us. We are normally creatures of our habits. Change isn't easy for us. Uh, the day-to-day -day tempo of our lives keeps us going, but we were forced to stay at home and socially isolate. We first baked a lot of bread, but we had a lot of time to think. We were able to see how our company treated us, whether they cared about us. I had a conversation with a nurse during COVID-19 and she told me that for the first time in her career, she was fighting with patients who were arguing with her that COVID wasn't real. So people were assessing their priorities and figuring out what they wanted out of life. Uh, some had scripts such as, I'll retire now, this is a good time to do that. And some were saying, this is not what I signed up for. I will change industries. So all of these, um, this shock led us to the question of what good is work and how should it fit my life? According to historians, pandemics change people, similar to people who go through a health scare. So part of what we are seeing is people recalibrating what they want out of life and out of their careers. So to summarize, COVID was a shock. People found it easier to leave their undesirable jobs, and there was plenty of undesirable elements in their jobs. But what about the people who stayed behind? Now, I would like to talk a little bit about what happens to them when people are not changing their jobs. Employee departures have important negative effects on their coworkers. Um, so that is also something important to keep in mind. As people are leaving, it is encouraging, it is making things worse for the people who are staying behind. To begin with, when an employee leaves, their coworkers are oftentimes stuck with more work, at least temporarily. The work uh, the departing coworker was performing is usually assigned to someone who was staying behind. And according to a survey, a recent survey of over 5,000 office workers, 83% of the respondents said that they took on up to six additional tasks outside of their job description because of their coworkers resigning. And 68% of the respondents said that they no longer knew what their responsibilities were. This is a recipe for burnout for the employees. So this is part of what we're seeing. Once coworkers start going to job interviews, getting offers, um, and they're changing jobs, the remaining employees are also experiencing FOMO or fear of missing out. So they are seeing their coworkers enjoying life in a different place. So they start questioning their own life choices. Is this a good company? Am I in the right place? What am I missing by staying? Everyone else is leaving. Why am I staying? So that creates that temptation of looking outside. They may have to train the newcomers to replace their coworkers. And often this is uncompensated work, underappreciated, and it is time out of one's already busy schedule. And often newcomers are paid more 
and that adds insult to injury. Companies realize that they need to pay newcomers more to match the market, but they don't express the same level of urgency to adjust the pay of the employees who are staying behind. Um, there are oftentimes hiring bonuses, but there are, in very rare cases, there are staying bonuses. So what we're seeing is that by staying, employees are also taking a loyalty penalty in their pay. Essentially, pay systems are designed uh, to reward the people who are changing jobs. And that was already the case prior to the pandemic. Uh, you may be familiar with companies. If, if somebody asks for a raise, management's response might be to get a competing offer from a different company. But what, what is happening here is, um, again, adding insult to injury because the company is essentially saying, I don't know what you are worth to me until I see what other companies are willing to pay for you. So that is very insulting. And ultimately, it is one other reason why employees are encouraged by their own companies to look for another job. One thing we know also is that turnover is contagious. Turnover begets turnover. So people look to others to decide what is acceptable behavior at any moment. Humans are social creatures, and while they're saying goodbye to the people who are leaving, it also makes them question why they're staying. It is, in fact, a shock. And it doesn't even have to be the turnover of people who are that they're working with. It doesn't have to be turnover of their coworkers. Let's say uh, logging into LinkedIn and seeing that someone you know from outside of work just changed jobs that makes people start thinking about changing their jobs. Or there are many social media stories these days where people are sharing their own quit stories. Those types of stories, I quit my job and I filmed it, is getting a lot of positive reaction in social media. So all of these are um, making people think about and potentially leave their jobs. And it's not only coworker departures that are contagious, leader and mentor departures also increase turnover risk. And those, th that, those groups are, quite important to pay attention to. There is quite a bit of academic research on this that I will share. When a manager departs, employees who have a close relationship to that manager also tend to depart in the next six, six months to a year. So a manager's departure really increases the turnover risk of their in-group, basically. Leader departures also increase employees' worries about their future in the organization because leaders are the uh, distributors of resources and they have a big role in um, establishing your organization's climate, the group's climate or the culture. So when leaders depart, employees start worrying about what is going to happen? How are things going to change? What type of resources are they going to have access to? How will their jobs change? What type of flexibility they're going to have? So that creates a lot of worry in the minds of people who are staying. Departures of high-performing leaders increases unit turnover. That's a research finding. And here is a finding from a really unique study. Um, this was um, a study that tried to understand why people were applying to graduate school. And they found that people were more likely to apply to graduate school after their mentor departed from the organization. So that may not necessarily generalize as it is to other uh, industries, but other uh, types of settings. But the idea here is managers and mentors departing really increases the turnover risk of the people who are staying behind. Um, I tried to make the case that people who are staying behind is an important group to watch out for because that also feeds into the turnover. So this brings us to the question, what are the consequences of high turnover for businesses? I will talk about four serious consequences. The first one is understaffing. This simply means that the workplace does not have all the employees they need to fulfill the essential tasks. This is obviously a problem because it leads to the company not being able to keep its promises, delayed deliveries, poor customer service, 
Every single one of us probably experienced the consequences of labor shortages and high turnover as a customer. Maybe you ordered something and it didn't arrive. Service interactions are no longer as smooth. And understaffing may be because you don't have the number of people you need, but it might also mean that you don't have the expertise and qualifications you need. So this means simply hiring more people may not solve this problem of being understaffed. If five people leave, and if you hire five new people, you will still be understaffed until the new employees are up to speed and they master their jobs. Recruitment and hiring costs. Companies are spending an undue amount of time and energy trying to fill their open positions. And this is time that they could be spending doing something else. Loss of social capital is a key one because when people leave, you don't only lose one person, you lose that person's entire set of relationships. And maybe they were the person the manager went to for questions about a particular issue. Maybe they were a mentor to other people. Maybe they were a trusted contact of a customer. So this is a loss that cannot be replaced by simply hiring more people. And finally, reduced autonomy. This is an interesting one, and it's a bit counterintuitive. Many businesses these days are becoming more top-down. What this means is people who are distant from a problem are starting to make decisions, making everyone's job harder. Managers themselves are stressed, and labor shortages are contributing to that sense of stress. They have their own metrics to meet, and they start squeezing people who are reporting to them. So the end result of that is um, there are more directives from higher up saying, from now on, we're doing X, Y, Z. And it doesn't always make sense to people at lower levels, and it frustrates people. It creates a sense of disconnect or arbitrariness uh, in the organization. An interesting reaction to, on the part of businesses is to try to turn back the clock by asking employees to go back to the office and longing for the ways things were. Some businesses are resisting remote work and they're blaming it for the company's problems. And this has introduced pressures to go back to the office and put an end to this remote work nonsense, in their words. Companies have not cracked the code of hiring and onboarding employees remotely. So some are hoping that asking employees to go back to the office will fix this problem. These are some headlines from the last month. In Virginia, uh, there is a push by the governor to have employees return to the office. Apple employees rose up with a high-profile employee quitting over the company's remote policies that require employees to go back to work. Tesla CEO Elon Musk fired the missive to employees asking them to go back to the office or pretend to work from somewhere else. And remote work is a key piece of all of this. Currently, there is a mismatch between upper management and lower level employees regarding the perceived necessity and desire to go back to the physical office. And 70% of knowledge workers want a hybrid workplace where some in-person presence exists, but there's very little desire to go fully back to the office. Digital natives or people who are younger and grew up with the internet, they are expecting to um, be remote from now on. But this is not a simple question, and the advice is probably not let them be remote. What happens to productivity is a really important question, and part of the problem is managers don't know how to manage remotely. In many jobs, objective performance criteria are lacking. So managers think that if they don't see employees, they don't know how to manage them and they must not be working. Plus, in many cases, managers' own success may have resulted from a physical office culture. So we will need to figure out the formula for making remote work work for more people. Should it be based on employee choice 
So that is one piece of advice that some uh, companies give, but that has downsides and it is likely to leave some employees behind. If you leave it up to the employees so that they decide whether to go to the office or not, then if management is working from the office, that is going to exclude the people who are not necessarily uh, going to the office. So that might have long-term career consequences for the people who are staying at home. But the other alternative to that is the company coordinating and telling people you have to go to the work this many days a week and on these days. That might make teamwork easier in some ways, but then it is taking away employees' flexibility and autonomy. So that doesn't seem like the right solution either. And what are we going to do about pay? Because in a lot of companies, cost of living is a big piece of how uh, companies decide what to pay people. But if some people are remote and if they move to cheaper locations, should they be penalized for it? How do you balance a remote workforce with an in-person workforce? And what is fair pay when it comes to all of this? So these are really important questions that don't have very simple answers, unfortunately. Now I would like to spend the rest of our time just talking about what companies are doing um, in this background and what, what can they do uh, going forward. Now, first, I would like to talk a little bit about surviving the moment. Companies will first need to deal with individual turnover events. They need to react to the employees that are turning over and survive the moment. And there are a few things that I would recommend immediately for all companies dealing with employee departures. The first one is learn to say goodbye to a departing employee gracefully. And that means treating employees with respect thanking them for their contributions, keeping the door open. Many companies benefit from what we call the boomerang employees. These are the employees who are currently leaving, but they may choose to come back someday. And your relationship with an employee doesn't have to be over just because they're leaving. And in fact, when a departing employee is leaving with good feelings about the company, they may serve as excellent brand ambassadors. They may talk the company up to others, and this will benefit the business in numerous ways. Second, don't make it worse. I've heard too many anecdotes where an employee announces their departure and the manager immediately takes an adversarial role. In one example that I heard, the manager declared to all the other employees who are not leaving that from now on, if they want to leave, they need to give one month notice. Obviously, that's not something that they can enforce, but it doesn't contribute to the feeling that they, the remaining employees are feeling supportive or managers making passive aggressive comments or playing the victim and saying that it's all about the money with this generation. I mean, these types of things really make things worse for the employees who are remaining behind. And it, it also delays the process of self-evaluation. Instead of reflecting on what the company can be doing to prevent these from going forward, the manager seems to be deflecting the blame. Appreciating the employees who are left behind. And remember that turnover is contagious, so the employees who are uh, staying behind are really at risk of turnover. And finally, projecting a sense of optimism. Employees who stay should feel that you appreciate them and value them, and you want the best for the employees who are leaving. Being pessimistic and complaining about the people who are leaving will create the feeling that this is a sinking ship, and it may result in a rush to the door um, on the part of people who are not leaving. So then how do you intervene? What do you do? The problems I highlighted as reasons for why people are staying, they're averages, they're nationwide, they're based on studies, but they may not necessarily tell you why your employees are leaving. So companies will need to collect data or use the data that they already have to understand why their own employees are leaving. 
Of course, I mean, I believe in the value of data, but I also believe in not asking questions if you're not interested in fixing problems. I think having a feedback culture is great if that feedback is leading to a concrete action on the part of management. Exit interviews, engagement surveys, these are all really great information sources and companies should be using them generously and HR should be the ones coordinating them. So the idea here is to identify what is going on and then developing interventions to make things better in the organization. Stay interviews are also great. So interviewing or talking to people, having one-on-one -on -one meetings with the people who are not intending to leave. What is making them stay? Just listening to them and looking to see what you can change in the work environment to make it a better place for the people who are staying behind and the new employees who are going to join the organization. What you should be doing really depends on what the specific problems are in the particular company. I will share a couple of case studies without naming names. So for example, one company found that uh, people who recently received the promotion were 20 times less likely to leave. They discovered this by looking at their own data. So one solution they came up with was to start having future-oriented conversations with all their employees. So as part of the one-on-one -on -one meetings that they had with the employees, they started talking about the employees' career plans. Another company found that um, their older workers were really burned out and they were looking into early retirement. So they decided to offer reduced hours and opportunities to mentor others as uh, potential solutions to these workers. One other company found that many of the departures that they were seeing were within 90 days of being hired. So they realized that what they have may not be a turnover problem, but it's an onboarding problem. And this is actually quite common. Employees are at greater risk of leaving within the first 90 days of being hired because they're new. They have little to lose if they were to leave and they don't feel like they belong in this workplace yet. I've actually done extensive studies on newcomer onboarding. And what we see in that body of research is that structured onboarding is better than leaving it up to chance and relationships make all the difference. So the company should take steps to ensure that newcomers are connecting with their supervisor, with their coworker. Um, you can assign them a buddy or a mentor, making sure that they're spending structured and quality time with their managers and their coworkers. So the ultimate goal here is to make sure that employees achieve a sense of clarity about their jobs, confidence, and a sense of belongingness as early as possible. And that could serve as inoculating employees um, against turnover. I have also a couple of tips for companies that are struggling with the labor shortages about how to hire um, new people relatively easily, or more easily. One thing is to pay attention to candidate experience and improving the candidate experience by eliminating unnecessary hurdles. In fact, you should probably go through the application process yourself to see how applicants are being treated as part of the hiring process. And applicants will react more favorably to businesses that treat them fairly and with dignity and respect. So making sure that you're communicating to them, thanking them for their time, not having unrealistic demands on their time. These are all ways of improving uh, the hiring process. Companies can consider hiring based on aptitude and then training people. So if the skills that you're looking for are, do not exist in the job market or they're very expensive, why not invest in training your employees? So that could provide a win-win for the company as well as uh, the applicants. Many companies are looking at labor pools they avoided before. Some employers I know personally are now treating applicants with criminal records more on a case-by-case -case basis rather than having blanket policies about them. 
Another one that I know is revising their previously very strict drug test policy. Intel just announced a couple of weeks ago that they are now revoking their policy of not hiring back employees they previously laid off. I don't exactly know why they had that policy of if you're laid off, we will never hire you back. They no longer have that policy, which opens up new possibilities for the company. And finally, considering part-time workers is definitely a part of this equation as well. But ultimately, though, let's use this as an opportunity to re-envision jobs. And I'm sure this will be the topic of conversation throughout the day in the symposium. But what we're seeing ultimately is a renegotiation of the psychological contract. So employees are seeing an imbalance between what they're giving to their jobs and what they're getting out of their jobs. There, are, there is an imbalance and they're simply asking to rectify this or they're going to places where they think and hope that they can rectify this. So what they're asking for isn't necessarily earth shattering. I don't think there is any magic formula, but some solutions are really no brainers. So the first one is probably taking money off the table. People should not be leaving jobs just for a little bit more money. People should be satisfying their financial needs where they are. We need stable jobs and with good leave policies. So let's offer jobs that pay at least the living wage and also good wages that properly compensate employees based on their efforts, based on their contributions, qualifications. Let's offer jobs that provide an opportunity to build financial security. So I think that's a really lowest level thing that they need to companies need to pay attention to creating a culture of caring that puts employees first and leadership is key here a manager who supports employees serves employees cares about employee well-being is a critical piece of this of course we want productivity but does it have to come at the expense of employee health and well-being so that is an important question and putting employees first will have uh, payoffs for the company as well Let's give employees growth opportunities because employees want to learn and develop. They want to grow as a person. So this could be inviting them to take on new challenges at work, or it could be offering things like tuition waivers and investing in their training outside of work. But ultimately, uh, this seems to be a big piece of why people are leaving. Let's make jobs more flexible and give employees more autonomy. We need jobs that fit with employees' lives. And we need to accept that we're dealing with adults who want control over their schedule and their work processes. So whatever happens, flexibility and autonomy will have to be a big piece of how um, the jobs of the future are. And finally, allowing employees to find meaning at work. If you think about it, work costs us our lives and we have a desire to spend it in meaningful ways. Not every job is going to be meaningful all the time, but if people can achieve some meaning some days of their week, that will be a beginning. So let's make sure that people are spending their time doing things that, they, that matter, things that they find meaningful, things that make a difference. And doing all these may seem daunting, but these don't only help with turnover. All of these are also key pieces of team productivity, employee effectiveness, and ultimately well-being. So while the great resignation drew attention to the importance of these factors, best performing companies always knew the importance of these. So my hope going forward is to look at the current situation as an opportunity to create more stable and healthy jobs and more inclusive and supportive workplaces. So that's all I had for you. Thank you for your time. This podcast is a production of the Oregon Institute of Occupational Health Sciences and Oregon Healthy Workforce Center. This episode was produced and edited by myself, Helen Shuckers, and music provided by Sam Greenspan. Community feedback is important to us, so if you enjoy listening to what's work got to do with it, please consider leaving us a five-star review and subscribe to our podcast. We really appreciate your continued support.
If you want to stay updated on current research, resources, news, and community events, consider following us on our Oregon in the Workplace blog or our social media channels. You can find us on facebook.com slash on Twitter at OHSU Health, or you can find us on LinkedIn by searching Oregon Institute of Occupational Health Sciences. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time.